words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So I don't know if you noticed today, but that we did not read a psalm together between the Old and New Testament readings like we usually do. We still had a congregational response, but the lectionary or the schedule of readings that we have for this Sunday gave us a choice. We could read Psalm 30, which is a lovely psalm, or we could read the passage that we did from Lamentations 3. It's up to the preacher which one usually that you get to do. So I chose Lamentations because it really spoke to me, and in part because it felt familiar, and then I realized this is actually the basis for one of my favorite hymns, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and also because the words just really ring true. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore, I will hope in him. God's love never ceases. God's mercies are new every morning. Therefore, we have hope. It sounds so simple, and yet it is so powerful. A few other verses that we read later in the Lamentations passage are less familiar, but are equally powerful. For the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion. There's a lot to ponder and think about in those eight words. Does God cause grief? I don't think so, like from my perspective, but the writer of the Lamentations seemed to think so. To me, I think it's more that God doesn't stop grief-causing events from happening to us and those we love. God allows us to experience all of life, and with life comes grief of all kinds. We grieve those who have died We grieve missed opportunities. We grieve friendships and relationships lost. The more important question for us to consider, rather than getting stuck on why, is this. How does God respond to us in our grief, and how are we supposed to respond to one another? As we read in Lamentations 3, God will respond with compassion. And so God sets the tone. He gives us the example of how we are to respond to those who are suffering grief of many kinds. We are to have compassion like God out of the abundance of our steadfast love for one another. Now, some of you may have already realized this, but one of my favorite writers and podcasters is Kate Bowler, and I know that I've mentioned her in a sermon or two before or a daily reflection. And some of you read her book with me last fall, and we'll read her new book again, uh, her new book together this fall. But she always signs off her podcasts and on, on short things that she writes, 
have a beautiful, terrible day. So recently someone asked her, why do you keep asking us to have a beautiful, terrible day? Why terrible? Why not just beautiful? And this is what she said. Well, it came from the thought I kept having when I first got sick with cancer, that somehow I could see more, feel more, appreciate more of the wide spectrum of life. And it turns out that there's this perfect quote from pastor and writer Frederick Buechner, who said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. Bowler says that life can be both wonderful and terrible, gorgeous and tragic, and that these opposites do not cancel each other out. Now, in theory, I love this Frederick Buechner quote, and I love that Kate Bowler is always wishing us a beautiful, terrible day. But in practice, in the moment, it's extremely hard to hold on to that truth that beautiful and terrible things will happen and that we should not be afraid. I feel like it's easier to see the beauty intertwined with the terrible when we look back, maybe with at least a few days or a few weeks or months, to give us the perspective of not being right there in the middle of the beautiful, terrible moment. I think you can realize it in the moment, but it's a little harder to do. So I'm going to give you an example from my own life of a few of a few beautiful, terrible days that I've experienced as of late. Um, I could pick ones from uh, throughout the course of my life. I'm sure you all could do the same. And so I share this story um, just to kind of get you all thinking and reflecting on maybe it will bring up for you some other similar moment that you have had um, that kind of resounds with that idea of a beautiful, terrible day. So, um, just over a year ago, uh, we decided to adopt a dog named Molly. Now, she's a beagle, and it turned out she's a beagle with so much confidence and attitude that we ended up calling her not so much Molly very often, but we would call her Power, like we would literally call her on the house Power, which is short for Beagle Power or Power Beagle. And someone after the 9 o'clock service uh, came up to me, Jill came up to me and said that her beagle is exactly like that. So it's not just ours, but she's the smallest dog we've ever had. Like if she would have let me, if she would let me pick her up, but she's not into being picked up. Um, she's a pocket size. She was like 23 pounds, which seems small alongside Athena, who is a 65 pound Rhodesian Ridgeback, who's the other dog at our house. Now, Molly was already 12 years old when she joined our family at the end of last May. Um, her previous owner had owned her for her whole life, from being a puppy onward to age 12, and then had to go into assisted living. And she took Molly with her because she was small enough to take. Um, and then they thought she was having a stroke, but it turned out Molly's previous owner was actually had brain cancer. And since no one, no one in the family wanted to take Molly on, um, the veterinarian's office fostered her there in College Station for a few months, and then they kind of put out the word to their clients that Molly was looking for a new home. And so, um, as my, at the time, 12-year-old had been bugging me for a third dog, uh, we brought Molly home with us, and then just six weeks later, we moved Molly with us here to Alabama. So. Uh, earlier this month, we took Molly with us to North Carolina, 
And she enjoyed taking little walks by the lake at Canuga and taking naps in the cottage where we stayed for the week. But her appetite had been off, which if you know beagles is extra odd because they're very food motivated to the point of being food bullies. And then some things happened that made us think something else was going on. So when I took her to the vet this Thursday, it turned out Molly's liver was failing and that she too had cancer. And so I said to the veterinarian and the vet student, I guess we'll have a few more weeks. And they said, no, just a few more days. So Thursday ended up being a beautiful, terrible day. It had been beautiful earlier in the day. I had, had enjoyed a lovely lunch and a walk around the gardens and work had been going well during the week and all was quiet. Um, and then we learned that. And so there came the, the terribleness on Thursday. I cried at the vet's office, I cried all the way home thinking about how I would tell my children that we were soon to lose our pet. It was a terrible day as I watched them begin to realize that every moment might be the last. But then Thursday was also a beautiful day in the way that the veterinarian and the staff took the time to get a clear diagnosis and did what they could to make her comfortable and showed compassion to me in that unexpected moment of grief. And so by mid-afternoon yesterday, um, Molly was gone. And so yesterday, Saturday, was also another beautiful, terrible day. And I don't share this to bring you down or to seek pity, but just to kind of be relatable that, um, that we too have beautiful, terrible days. But it was a beautiful day in a lot of ways. It was a beautiful, sunny June day. It was beautiful and getting to go down to Graceworks and see some of you and see all the good work being done there. It was beautiful with the kindness of the person on the phone at the emergency animal hospital. It was beautiful when I got there and they asked me about what she was like and treated me with compassion despite the oddness that I was bringing a dog to them that they had never actually had the chance to care for in life because it was Saturday and our normal veterinarian's office was not open. And it was a beautiful day in the sense that Molly didn't suffer long and we knew she was at peace. And then at the end of the day, I felt the need to kind of do something to embrace life. So at dusk, I went out in the yard and I finally finished like cultivating the section of our garden boxes and I planted some sunflower seeds as it was getting dark. And I think that once they finally pop up, they will remind me of beautiful, terrible days. Now as it happens, today's gospel is also about another beautiful, terrible day. In this passage from Mark 5, we find two intertwined stories of grief and compassion. The passage opens with Jairus asking for Jesus to come quickly and to heal his daughter, his only daughter, a 12-year-old who seems on the verge of dying. Jesus stopped what he is doing, and he started to head to Jairus' house. But as often happens when Jesus is on the way somewhere, Jesus got interrupted. And he ended up having an encounter with a woman seeking healing for herself as someone who had been bleeding continuously for 12 years. For Jairus and his daughter, the day began as a terrible one, with the prospect of a young life full of promise being cut short and the prospect of parents and relatives grieving her loss. 
But the day was also beautiful in the way that Jesus showed compassion on them by coming to them, giving the family dignity in their difficult moment, and then tenderly saying, little girl, get up, making sure she was fed and that their family's privacy would be maintained by asking that no one share the details of what had happened. But in between the bookends of the story of Jairus' daughter, we also find the story of the woman who was hemorrhaging. And this, too, was a beautiful, terrible day for her. It was a terrible day because it was yet another day that this woman had woken up, no doubt, in pain and discomfort and fear, just as she had for 12 long years. The bleeding just wouldn't stop, and nothing she had tried had taken it away. Nevertheless, she held on to the hope that all, would ta- all it would take to be healed was to just touch Jesus. And she didn't mean for him to even know. And how could he? Jesus was making his way through a crowd, bumping against and being bumped into by all sorts of people. How would he know that she had touched him? But somehow Jesus felt the healing power go out from him, and he stopped to find out just who had touched him on purpose, not on accident. Who had touched him because she was hoping for healing? And it ended up being a beautiful day, because not only did she reach out in faith to Jesus, but it was beautiful because Jesus did not reject her because of this act of faith. Rather, he turned to her and said, your faith has made you well. So I believe Frederick Buechner was right, and Kate Bowler is right. In our world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. And when they do, and even when we feel afraid and overwhelmed, God will show us compassion, which we in turn can share with others. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.